Hello, I'm Anna Bogutska. And I'm Clarice Larkery. And this is the Next Supremes, an American Horror Story Rewatch podcast. Today, we kick off with the first episode of the third season, Coven. So this premiered back in October 2013 and ran for 13 episodes, starring our beloved AHS regulars Sarah Paulson, Lily Rabe, Jessica Lang, Evan Peters, Tessa Farmiga, uh, Dennis O'Hare, Jamie Brewer, and it also introduces new actors to the roster, including, and this is an incredible list, Angela Bassett, Kathy Bates, Emma Roberts, and Gabri Sibide. Today's episode, titled Bitchcraft, was written by show co-creators Ryan Murphy and Brad Falchuk and directed by regular AHS filmmaker Alfonso Gomez-Rejon. First of all, we should slightly apologize because we have missed two weeks of episodes because yes. it's been a very upsetting two weeks. There was a lot of history happening and... I feel like it didn't feel appropriate to be releasing podcasts about witches. Nope. Um, sniping at each other. So we gave everyone two weeks break to to just absorb the history that is happening to us right now. Exactly. Very, you know, very well put. Celebrate, be a bit stressed about the future. <laughs> but now now I feel like we're back into the 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 no the back to the the normal stress of living in 2020 yeah yeah like the the peak stress of the u.s election has sort of calmed down and now we we can just stress about the usual stuff like a global pandemic yeah a potential coup you know the normal stuff that you stress about in your day-to-day yeah, life exactly like that's we're used to that that's okay yeah so as with the other first episodes of a new ahs season uh, this one is is also incredibly dense, so it's probably going to be slightly longer than our usual episodes because uh, there is a ton of stuff to get through as we get introduced to the new world of Coven, all the new characters, and uh, a lot of historical references and historical characters. Yeah, this is like <laughs> the Wikipedia page for New Orleans. Yep. and uh... in, in a TV show. <laughs> So let's let's kick into it. As as per usual, as a standard with American Horror Story episodes, we begin with a flashback. In this case, to 1834, where we meet Madame Delphine Lolloy, who is a notorious serial killer who lived in New Orleans. And we get introduced to her kind of in her setting as a as a society lady, and uh, that's all very nice. But actually, her biggest passion or her hobby is murdering people and torturing people, specifically black people, in her attic. What's a, what's a not sociopathic way of putting this? Using people's body parts and blood to concoct beauty products to keep herself young? Yeah, I guess it's a little bit of an Elizabeth... Bathory situation, a little but bit. then entrenched in uh, many years of American racism. Yeah, 
as as a, a French person, I enjoyed Kathy Bates's beautiful pronunciation of all her daughter's names. <laughs> <laughs> Boquita. She Marie Louise Pauline and Marie Louise Jean. <laughs> She's like listing all these like French, like standard French girl names. Mm. She was like, look at all my daughters. <laughs> um, yeah, I enjoyed that, and then it it got. Um, I mean, it it goes back and forth. There are moments that I I sort of like the way this character is handled, and then there are moments where. It's stepping into, like, the level of discomfort I had about the Anne Frank episode in Asylum. Mm. Um, yes, like, this is the thing, to go back to the idea that, okay, yeah, like, you know, murder and ghoulish things, and, you know, you can sort of be macabre and be a little bit, like, twisted and wicked with that, but when you're specifically talking about, like, the intense trauma of slavery... I think that's when it, you know, that's kind of like the no-go zone, I feel like, with this sort of tone. There's two ways, I think, and when I was re-watching this episode, thinking about it, is that there is, she's not being presented as, um, as a good person in any way, shape, or form. She is a mass murderer, and she is a racist mass murderer, and... Obviously, Kathy Bates is an incredible performer, so it's nothing to do with her. I did find the imagery, specifically even in that opener scene, um, before we even get to the title credits, before we meet all the all the cool, mean witches, there is a lot of of images of black bodies being really brutalized, and it's it feeds into a way that racial violence has been presented on screen that is quite. I guess traditional for American visual culture. It's it's deeply problematic. I think this episode is probably more graphically brutal than the ones we've seen so far. And it did raise questions for me as to why we were there was so many why there were so many allowances made to present so much bodily brutality in this context. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think it's it's the problem with American Horror stories that it sort of approaches every topic with the same... Um, yeah, I don't know. It kind of has this very blanket approach to to the subjects it deals with. Um and and so you're you know it's an inability to see how <clears throat> this is, i mean it's just trauma this is the thing it's putting trauma on screen and it is traumatic for people to watch this i imagine i'm sure you know in a way that watching a killer clown sorry to flash forward to other mm. seasons you know watching a killer clown be a killer clown and doobity doobity doo like you know that has an element of fantasy to it this is so real and it's a trauma that is still so um current in american society like that mm. trauma is still so alive that i think yeah that's the thing it's like that very image it is 
bringing back that it's bringing back that trauma and just putting it on screen and mm-hmm. that is like incredibly exploitative and but that's the thing and and, and you know I, I don't think any anyone involved in this show was doing it on purpose i think like as you said um culture's like very it's like very normalized yeah uh, i think now like um like i think now it's starting to to i think white creators are starting to kind of wake up to what they're doing a little bit mm. um not so much in in 2013 but yeah, yeah and that's and... the thing. Yeah, you could have done this without be it being so graphic, and you could have like still had the character of Mad- Madame Lalaurie and sort of you know cut just cut around it and yeah. and and found ways to you know. I do I do appreciate the fact that they are not um, glamorizing the fact that she is she was a horrific racist person. And a lot of her killings were were based on on that. The way that she speaks, and there's kind of in this very scene, there one of her daughters has uh, hooked up with 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 a black man, and she decides to cover up, you know, the quote unquote shame of her daughter having premarital sex with someone by saying that, oh, we'll we'll say that he sexually assaulted you. Which kind of feeds again into this really toxic narrative of, of you know, it's, oh, it's, you must protect the white girls. Everyone's after the white girls. And it's like, mm, <laughs> no. And it's it's this twisting of the narrative. And to bring it back to a, a, a lighter note, is Madame Lullery being presented as the original Karen, who is going to twist everything in a really macabre way and then murder you as well for, you know, lols for her. Yeah, that's that is the thing about this character is that I think, you know, there are part of it that are cleverly done because it is the way that like, um, I mean not to, I don't know, <laughs> the the way that this character is dealt with like, they do try and and set up these modern illusions a little bit and they do try and sort of present something that is recognizable to us you know even though you know a lot of people would try and would think of her actions and just think of them as like you know like unconscionable can't even imagine it like Mm. that surely didn't happen but to be like here's this very you know human person doing these things and you know that is always the thing that american horror story is great at um but yeah and i think as maybe like a pretext we should say i i think coven like there's been a lot of conversation about the the way that race is dealt with in Coven. Mm-hmm. I'm like not gonna be equipped <laughs> to comment on it. Um, you know, yeah, I've I've always gotten the impression that it's it was sort of attempting to do good things in a v- incredibly clumsy way. Is always my takeaway of of Coven and maybe American Horror Story as a whole (laughs) yeah i think that's a very i think that's a very good way of putting it and i think it's i mean this is from seven years ago now which does not excuse it but i think we are we're gonna as the episodes progress gonna point out some of the 
the clumsiness in addressing some historical figures and and try to glean some of the the things that it is trying to do does it succeed maybe not maybe not always um does it succeed in in this particular scene in highlighting the intense homicidal racism of of this serial killer yes it does succeed in that but it does so in in a way that just reinforces painful and and clumsy narratives that use and present black bodies on screen in a way that is not that is traumatic and that is deeply problematic and it feeds into and into a larger lineage of the way that this has happened in in visual culture for a very long time. There's a thing that one of my favorite um, critics, Jordan Cruciolo, always says, and I sort of hold it to heart a lot. It's like, well, you can love something, you can love a piece of pop culture, and because you love it, you have to demand it to be better. And I think it's okay for us to demand that the show that we love, clearly, does attempt to be better when it fails. Yeah, and I I would say I don't think they would do this again. I think I'd hope. I would hope. <laughs> I think they have well, hmm. Do I believe the thing I'm about to say that they've gotten better at dealing with sensitive subjects? Do you? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> now I'm just remembering some of the stuff that happens in the later seasons and maybe I don't believe that. <laughs> Ugh, okay. <laughs> I think I think there is lesson there are lessons being learned but then there are new mistakes being made along the way mm. is maybe my take on it. Um I know that note. Let's move on to something that actually does not seem to be problematic. Which is new credit sequence. Yes, I the Jersey Devils in it. I yeah. loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Little skeleton goat boy. Yes. Like, hey, uh, I'm the Jersey Devil. I don't even live in New Orleans, but I'm here. <laughs> and I'm making myself known. It is uh, in it's the same music, but it is kind of very witchy, very occult vibes, very much, you know, going into the forest, making spells, burning shit, and then like poking things. So it's kind of mixing a lot of voodoo imagery, a lot of witch imagery, a lot of kind of Blair Witch vibes. A little uh, Woods Thou Like to Live Deliciously. Yeah. Even though this predated yes. the witch, <laughs> or as I like to call it, the Veach. <laughs> Because it's like the typeface is like a old W, so it's like two V's. Yeah, yeah. So I call it the Vivich. The Vivich. The Vivich. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and it also predates Witch Talk, and uh, but I think it's got big Witch Talk vibes. I'm obsessed with TikTok in general and with all the different subcultures that exist on it, and Witch Talk is one of those. Okay, sidebar, but. <laughs> The other day, I think this was close to Halloween, apparently there were witches in uh-huh. a square, like, nearby my house, just, <gasps> like, doing a TikTok. <laughs> and I, uh... I'm way too old to make TikToks. I just like watching them. <laughs> Mostly dances and cats and weird witchy stuff, which is all the things yeah. I like. There's a lot of dancing men on it as well, which kind of feeds into my interests very specifically. <laughs> Yeah, TikTok is just like 
like millennials had Vine and that died, so we have to move on. But now Gen Z, they get TikTok, which is kind of the same, but also like different in really crucial ways. Yes, and it's also a lot more varied and a lot more diverse, and uh, and also just unexplainably addictive. <laughs> this is such a weird sidebar. Going back to Coven, after we get the new credit season, we now go to the present which is 2013 and we meet our first witch who is zoe played by tysa farmiga and uh, she is trying to lose her virginity but sadly uh her attempting well her having sex with this boy accidentally kills the boy and she gets shipped over to witch school God, don't you hate it when you're losing your virginity and you find out you've got a murder vagina <laughs> and then your mom comes into a room and she's like, look, I should have told you this before, but you've got a murder vagina. Uh, you're a witch and we're going to send you to boarding school. <laughs> like so much happens in the space of what feels like three minutes. Yep. It's uh, there's a uh, it's always uncomfortable when that happens and it's told in a really, really quick way. And we get, to be honest, very annoying voiceover by Tysa Farmiga where I'm just like, shut up. Just go to witch school. <laughs> Let us meet some more interesting characters than you. It's so emo. And she's yes. like looking out the train window oh. being like, look, they always say that like, you know, cliches are bullshit. But like the thing about cliches is that they're true. Oh. Sometimes your life can change overnight. I hate it. Like when you find out your vagina murders people. <laughs> you know, it's a cliche, but it's true. <laughs> I love a murder vagina narrative. I love the film mm. Teeth. I love the vagina dentata myth. Uh, this is just, Zoe just doesn't have the <laughs> the bite to really pull off this, this vibe. Yeah, she doesn't seem that sad about the boy who just died. <laughs> <laughs> it was presumably her boyfriend. I think it's implied. We get a very, through her, we get a very brief, very strange uh, montage of the Salem witch hunts and basically saying the Salem, the women who were burnt in Salem were not the real witches. The real witches were smarter than that and they went down to New Orleans. So that's where all the witches actually are. So that's the kind of explanation for the whole season happening in New Orleans. It's the fact that it's the witch capital of the states as opposed to Salem, which is the the the, the association with the with the Salem witch trials and that witch hunt is the thing that kind of permeates popular culture. Which to be, I didn't like that montage, but I do like that we get a reason to to go to New Orleans because it's just such a fascinating and beautiful city. Yeah, and Salem's cool, but. Um, there's just like a big statue of uh, Samantha from Bewitched in Salem now so maybe it's a bit less edgy than well yeah. not that New Orleans is edgy but yeah, New Orleans is like cooler it's very cool it's so cool actually the last time I rewatched this this season covered I was in New Orleans I was like I have to <laughs> I have to watch it oh my god did you go to the house I went to all the places <laughs> That's so cool. Don't worry, I will obnoxiously bring them up as we keep talking about coming. Please do. Please do. I've never been to any American Horror Story related location, so. 
I've been obsessed with New Orleans for a very long time and I went a few years ago and I spent a, a very long week there and I was very very happy it's everything and more than you can imagine I uh, yeah I also really want to go I mean as a person who loves like great architecture and history and food and serial music. killer history yeah I yeah. mean that New Orleans seems the place for that those yep. things so so Zoe arrives at the Robichaud Academy and we finally meet. I mean, we've been talking for like 20 minutes. This has only been about 10 minutes of the episode, if not less. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we meet the other witches who are going to be our protagonists. Madison Montgomery, who's telekinetic and a movie star. Queenie, who's a human voodoo doll. Nan, who's clairvoyant. And Cordelia Fox who's the headmistress and played by Miss Sarah Paulson. She likes herbs. Yeah, <laughs> that's her thing. She's got her like little hobby craft stand. <laughs> she's got, she's oh, very much. <laughs> her, her conservatory is beautiful. Yeah, it is really nice. It's only, I'd say it's the second best witch conservatory after the one in Practical Magic. Oh, true. So what do you make of... um? Of all our protagonists. I love immediately that they all hate each other. Yeah. <laughs> because you just know we're in for some incredible put downs. Mm -hmm. I did find the way that they introduced their powers, like kind of hysterically forced. Oh it's just like Emma Roberts kept be keeps being like, I, I get it, bitch. You're clairvoyant. <laughs> And then Queenie's like, yeah, well, I'm a human voodoo doll, which is information that you already know, but I'm just saying it out loud anyways. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I feel like they could have, you know, <laughs> found a slightly smoother way to do that. But yeah. it's a fun scene. It's really fun. It's the equivalent in kind of dialogue terms of just them having a little... God, what do you call it? Like a little subtitle appear, or the or the shot just freezing, and them saying like, "Ooh, Madison Montgomery, movie star, telekinetic." Well, like in Suicide Squad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they should. Why didn't they just do Suicide Squad? No, 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 never. What? No, no. Why? Why would you put that into the ether? Take it back. I'm sorry. No, no more Suicide Squad. Anything. It I'm is... sorry. We're getting another Suicide Squad. Oh, whether fuck you sake. want it or not. No. <laughs> no. Stop giving David Ayer work. No. It's fine. It's not him now. It's they. They were like, look, this Suicide Squad was so bad and unpopular. <laughs> That we've just decided to obliterate it from existence <laughs> and we're just pretending that Suicide Squad never happened. Here's the movie Suicide. was well, like the Suicide Squad now. Here's the Suicide Squad. That other thing never happened. We don't talk about it. Mm. <laughs> sorry, we are doing a lot of um, sidebars this episode. I I'm love sorry. those sidebars. This is a big introductory episode because there's there's a lot of characters. Through all the the teen witches, we get introduced to the way that the witching world works. So they're witches, they've got kind of one key power, which they telegraphed for all of us. And then there's the Supreme, 
who is sort of the witch that reigns over all other witches. And what do you make of the way that this... What do you make of the, the implications that the way that witches operate in the world? I I actually love this mm, idea because it's like, I don't know, it goes back to a real like matriarchal, um, I don't know, woman power, ancient, like mm. my favorite ancient civilization are the Minoans. And they mm-hmm. had this whole thing about ancient goddesses and they all had snakes and their boobies out. Um, <laughs> and it was just, yeah, just this really cool idea of like, you know, female power mm. and it's, and it's old and it's kind of a bit scary, but it's cool as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I love that. Yeah. So like, it just kind of links that to the, this whole history of, of, of witches and the mystique of it. And mm. also it is really setting up a lot of like, great um like female power plays oh yeah which is such a huge part of the show and kind of a reason why it's fun because um i don't know not many many shows like allow women to be cruel to each other because i think there's a fear that like oh it'll be really misogynistic Mm. if we do that but like you know Women can be real dicks to each other. <laughs> I, you know I love a bitchy woman. Mm-hmm. And I I love that as well. And because the witch, the witch is the perfect vehicle to explore the idea of female power and how it manifests and how they interact with each other. And this, you know, all of this season and this episode is basically about power and power plays between these these characters who are all women and all extremely aware that they are women operating in a world that's not designed for them and also they're women who have supernatural powers so there's like how they are existing and playing around with the power with the power dynamics of being women and then also the the different power dynamics that exist between being older women between being white women between being black women in this in the human society and then added to that is the power dynamics of being witches what kind of witches are they the supreme what sort of powers do they have what can they do how do they interact with each other it's like it's so many it's so many layers of power dynamics and power plays that i'm just mm, yes witchy game of thrones and it's interesting you said about like the, the differences between them because i that's kind of a thing that sometimes in feminism i think gets lost you know you know that's the whole reason that intersectional feminism exists is to realize that like women are just this like i don't know block (laughs) this like (laughs) this one giant block of thing you know Mm -hmm. there's so many nuances within that you know class and race and Mm -hmm. and so yeah i think to have a show that sort of recognizes it even in the sort of fun ridiculous way that american horror story does it Mm. is is great because we need to be better at having those conversations yeah i'm excited to talk about all of those power dynamics at play because the moving on we meet the current reigning supreme fiona good wow i wonder who plays her (laughs) oh could who is who's the baddest bitch in town I wonder who's the baddest bitch in the American Horror Story repertoire. Hmm. Hmm. It's Jessica Lange. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it's Jessica Lange. We didn't even need to say that. We could not mention her name for the rest of the season, and you would know exactly who we're talking about. Yes, and it's Jessica Lange who 
contrary to Constance Lang in Murder House, contrary to Sister Jude in Asylum, this is Jessica Lang who's like, I would like to just look fabulous and wear nice clothes and just strut around and say bitchy things for a season, Ryan. Can I do that? Can I do that, Ryan? And he's like, yes, let me show you. (laughs) Let me put you in touch with Dior. Let them dress you. Let's get you some labatons and let's constantly have a cigarette in your hand. Just constantly. Always. Okay, throw the occasional man against a wall. As you do. Suck the youth out of him. Like, I don't know, like it's the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot express how much. I love Fiona Good, despite the fact that she's such a horrible person. It's it's like pure Cruella Deville vibes, but I also love Cruella Deville. So. She is like it's pretty much the same relationship between audience and character as we do as we have with Alexis Carrington, played by Joan Collins on Dynasty. It's like she is horrible, but I love to watch her, and I love to watch her be horrible to other people wearing fabulous clothes and being extremely witty and also despicable in every single possible sense. It's the kind of idea that she's, she's sort of scary. I know for me and somebody who like could never achieve that level of power and self-confidence, it's fascinating (laughs) to watch somebody be like, yeah, I am the baddest witch in town. Yes. And I do not care what I do to people (laughs) as long as like I am satisfied yes like that's fascinating because like I love that you sort of I don't know there's a part you know there's like a horrible little part of you that wants that oh 100% yeah and I think that's what always draws us to those characters and it's like of course I would never be that person okay yeah but what if I was (laughs) (laughs) just for like one day just like one day it's like it's like seeing a a dark universe version like if you imagine sort of the best possible version of yourself and then you imagine that version but in a dark universe that's Fiona Good So I was like, oh, I wonder like what the best version of myself would be like, behave like, talk like, look like, would definitely live in New Orleans. And then it's like, yeah, but what if, you know, this was the darkest timeline? That would be Fiona Good. I was like, oh, I still kind of would. (laughs) Yeah. It's like kind of aspirational in a really perverse way. (laughs) We've met the witches, we've met the Supreme, and now I have to meet... Nice guy, Kyle, played by favorite Evan Peters, who is organizing a frat boy party bus. And they're heading off to a party, which Zoe and Madison also attend. And uh, yeah, we get we we get to meet a lot of frat boys. Yeah. And well, should we do like the pleasant part of this scene first, which is the little yeah. moment that Zoe and Kyle have where it's Romeo and Juliet, you know, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo Very. and Juliet, seeing each other across the fish tank, but it's like some stupid ice sculpture. Yeah. <laughs> I loved that so yes. much as an intense Baz Luhrmann stan. Yes. I am obsessed with that scene. 
it's a it's a great scene. I've I had it in my notes as well separately of like this is very Romeo and Juliet, but also Romeo and Juliet with bisexual lighting, which I found very curious. I was like, ah, yes, okay, interesting choice. But it looks great. Just neon pink, neon purple, neon blue washing over their faces. They've got great chemistry as well between them, Evan Peters and Tysa Farmiga. So it's fa- it's like, it's very cool. It's very sweet. It's very sweet. And then, uh, yeah, and then the nice part is over. The nice part is over and Madison gets spiked, uh, gets her drink spiked and gets sexually assaulted by a group of frat boys. I will say, like, I, uh, I, I knew that this part was coming because obviously I've seen it before, and I was mm. worried, like, oh god, this is just gonna be like, have aged horribly, and even though it's it's you know it's it's not perfect because it's kind of shot in that American horror story way of like this is like a horror movie, yeah, um, which maybe is and isn't an appropriate way to handle the subject, um, but. I was again thinking about the the time that this came out, 2013. Mm-hmm. Again, a period in which I don't think in mainstream culture this was really talked about to the extent that is it is talked about now. Because um, if you look at the timeline, like the the Brock Turner case was in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's 2014 when Obama, the Obama administration. Um, created the task force for for campus sexual assault yeah um the mattress performance art where the the artist carried around um the mattress as as sort of um a symbol of of the burden that she was carrying around as as a sexual assault victim Mm -hmm. um the the kirby the kirby dick documentary the hunting ground which is all about the rampant um sexual abuse on college campuses in the states came out in 2015 as well so yeah, so this is like slightly preceding that era when mm. it was, um, you know, really sort of in mainstream media. So I, I was like, oh, that's actually really interesting then because, I mean, it had always, it had been an issue and, and it had been talked about since like, you know, the 1960s and 1970s. But mm-hmm. I think it was still this sort of like, you know, it was it was one of these things that it just was kind of brushed under the carpet mm. so much at that point and and I think much like the the school shooting in Murder House it's like okay well the execution was not perfect but like kind of yeah it's kind of impressive to have seen this being represented in a show like this yeah and it's it's the way that it's filmed is it's very much from Madison's point of view. So it's very elliptical and it's very much just kind of changing faces that she sort of sees in and out of consciousness. So it is trying to position the perspective from her point of view. And we don't we don't see we don't actually see her being assaulted. We kind of see I think it's trying to be much more sensory. And we we see Kyle kind of go rush into this room and see the situation and kind of get the guy off of her and sort of get into a fight with these frat boys where his frat boys being like what the fuck are you doing and trying to break this up and it's 
it's a it's a horrific moment. Uh, but I'd agree with you that it's not. I was also really worried about revisiting this episode and remembering that scene and thinking, oh god, I don't remember how it was shot, and it's 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 sad that kind of we have to ex- experience so much violence in this first episode that's directed at black people that's directed at women which are usually the people that um end up getting brutalized in 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 a lot of in a lot of visual media again a choice to be much more protective of the way that Madison's uh, abuse is being presented on screen versus the yeah. the other brutality that we see very specific choice uh and but yeah we don't actually i think it's kind of treated reasonably reasonably okay considering yeah and i i did like you know the the thing that we didn't really get with the the la Lurie, um scenes is the sort of the the afterhood and the the trauma after mm. um and what i did like here is seeing madison you know to sort of wrap up the episode she flips the bus yeah that the the frat boys are in and also nice guy kyle um you know and, and sort of have that that moment and that expression of rage mm. i was like oh that yeah that i think is is quite rare to see to allow that moment of anger mm. and we've talked about this before it's and you know and this is the thing i keep always i am always saying we've talked about this before but this <laughs> is the thing with american horror story it's always cycling back to the same ideas and themes yeah. and this is again another really what i think is actually quite a good example of um you know like imperfect victimhood in the sense of like madison is a horrible case she's a horrible girl <laughs> she's yep. a horrible spoiled nasty girl but that does not you know detract at all from from her as a victim hmm. um and I, it feels important to me to to show that because a lot of how women are treated in the media you, you have to be this like perfect victim to be taken seriously and i think that is so beyond fucked up and so mm-hmm. i i do like having this sort of stuff yeah i agree with you and to kind of add to your point about the expression of rage after this assault happens there's also zoe's reaction and a few scenes later on in the episode she tracks down one of the surviving fat boys and uh murders him by having sex with him while he's on his in his hospital bed and it's also also seen that really surprised me the way just the way they were shot it's very quick editing and it's it's very bloody like we basically see this boy like bleed out from his eyeballs in in a very in a very intense close-up and it also kind of allows for that exp- for that revenge which you know rape revenge is a whole another conversation it's a whole genre it's a whole subgenre of films and it's that's kind of what's being tapped into here and the friend you know the friend avenging her the abuse of her of her friend of madison is is also a trope that's quite common but 
I did like that kind of very very quiet, deliberate expression of rage and of revenge of using her her ability to to essentially sexually assault and murder the boy. And that hospital sorry, I know this is a very serious point, but I was a bit like that hosp- where that hospital is empty. Wait <laughs> <laughs> She just closes the door and she's like, right? Yeah. <laughs> Don't mind me. Yeah. Nobody come in this room at all. Even if the machine starts beeping. Well Don't... Yeah. She's a she's a very Sorry, I just, she's a very you... pretty skinny white girl. No one's yeah. gonna no one's gonna suspect her. Sorry. You made such a great point and then I was like for what hospital <laughs> what kind of hospital is this in which you can just murder somebody and absolutely nobody notices this is the same dynamic that american horror story has so i think it's very fitting yeah <laughs> so we god we're going to be talking for a long time so the last couple of points that i think are worth mentioning in the episode are the tour of madame lodori's house that the witches do with Fiona, which kind of illustrates the history of Laurie a bit more. And what did you what did you make of this scene? And of the way that her kind of history is unfolded? I thought it was clever to do it as a house tour. Um mm. and to have the tour guide talk about it because that's sort of how the the legacy or legend of Madame Lully has come down to us now. It's become part of the sort of, you know, the creepy New Orleans, the mm. the ghost ghost stories of New Orleans. Are you know, it's become, um, I don't know, very touristy now, which I I think is interesting considering, you know, how horrific her crimes were. And the way that pl- they play into to you know the wider history of racial mm. oppression. Um, so yeah, it is interesting to me that. Oh, hold on one sec. Oh God. Just one sec. <sighs> Why is there an airplane at <laughs> Hold on. Oh, it's taking sweet time. Yeah, I they're probably fine in Shoreham Airport. Yeah. So they might be a little oh, bit. Oh, go ahead. It's sort of kitschy. Mm. And that in itself is, is disturbing to think about. And, and so it was... Yeah, I thought it was clever to present it in that context, which is the context that it is presented today, <laughs> these days. Yeah, and... I mean, I I don't have the the knowledge or the ability to intelligently articulate it, but there is. It reminded me a lot of. Uh, this is a slightly a segue, but also a recommendation. There's a podcast that I love listening to that's produced by the New York Times called Still Processing, and it's hosted by two of their culture writers. Um, one of them is is the Pulitzer Prize winning film critic Wesley Morris and Jenna Wortham who's a culture writer and they actually have a whole episode where they talk about um, one of the things they talk about and specifically Jenna talks about is going to one of these tours and I believe that she's talking about a tour that she did of an old plantation house and she really they really both of them go into the way that this kind of touristy 
kitschy element of kind of talking about past atrocities and then repurposing them as touristy attractions, how that is again presented for a particular gaze. And I'm obviously talking about the white gaze and kind of white tourists. And it's, again, just in... What is the word that I'm using? The word that I'm looking for is not insensitive. It's more kind of thoughtless. And I just, I would I would really recommend kind of, it. I want to re-listen to that episode after re-watching this episode uh, of American Horror Story because I think it kind of taps into some of the things that I don't think the creators necessarily thought about when making the scene. It's just kind of an effective way of, of exposition around Laurie, but... I think there's a much broader conversation that that scene in particular might start and that episode of Still Processing I think is a really, really good good listen to to get thinking about it. That's a great recommendation. Thank you. And back to the cutter. Uh, we... No, actually. One of the important things about that flashback about Laurie is we see her being murdered, kind of, Sort of, not really, by Mary Laveau, who is a new character that makes her appearance in the flashback. And Mary Laveau is played by one of the greatest screen actresses I've ever seen, Miss Angela Bassett. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> she, oh, she's so good. She's like, she's only on screen in this for a few minutes, maybe five minutes tops. But I just already instantly obsessed <laughs> so like so much she is she's one of those okay slight digression she's one of those actors that just has such powerful intense charisma and is obviously incredibly talented as well as both a comedic actress and a dramatic actress but it's like whenever she comes on screen if it even if it's for 30 seconds you're just like I want to see a whole nine-hour trilogy about your character. I just want to see your face on screen for the rest of the season. Everything you do is marvelous. How are you so talented, obsessed? Please, please give me more Malibu. And she's so good at, at what I call kind of like micro expressions, mm, where yes. she can give the smallest smirk. Mm. And instantly, like, that is a thousand pages worth of screenplay yes. in one one expression. And that, to me, is just, like, that is the height of acting to me. And she is... Well, I'm not quite sure if Madame LaLaurie had been portrayed on screen before, but I do know that Marie Laveau had not. So she's actually... I mean, I will... I will... We'll get into, Ma- we'll get into Marie Laveau, I think, in future episodes. But... There'll be a lot of that from my end because I've been obsessed with this with this woman for years and years. And um, Angela Bassett's performance as her in this season is not only the first screen adaptation of Mary Laveau, but it's also just uh, just could not wish for a more incredible presence, a more incredible screen presence to embody this woman who also was such a mystery and so impactful, still maintains impact, especially in New Orleans, and is still 
a huge mystery in many ways. And I feel like you get that from Angela Bassett. Yes. It's like Angela Bassett could contain like so many secrets. Yeah. could be so she could be Banksy. You <laughs> never know. Because <laughs> she has such a good poker face. She does. So to wrap up the, the episode and move into our categories. Uh, the last thing that we get, the last beat that happens in the episode is that Fiona resurrects Lollary. So she doesn't actually resurrect her. She just digs her up because, as we understand from this episode, Mary Laveau had given her a potion of some sort that sort of made her immortal. So she was alive and buried underground and conscious the entire time. Good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. She just yeah. should have stayed buried. Yeah. So that's how this episode ends. And we've already talked about it longer than the episode actually runs. <laughs> oh, but, no, no. but there is so what we thought we might do with this season is not all of our previous categories actually fit the tone of Coven and there's so much there's so many new things that uh that come up in the series so we thought we'd kind of we'd kind of update our categories uh so we we've got a few new ones and some of our old ones have disappeared so let's start with our with a familiar one which is the top top quote of the episode what was yours my freaking vagina's sweating. <laughs> um, that that's an Emma Roberts line, and she just she just delivers it so casually. I love it. I love it. Yes. Also, that is exactly what being in New Orleans in in September feels like. Yeah, and like having to wear black. Yeah, there's it's gonna be so difficult. But I'm just looking at my notes, and I I'm gonna go with the Fiona Good line where she says the world is not going to miss a bunch of assholes in Ed Hardy t-shirts talking about the dead frat boys yes just because the... they weren't even wearing Ed Hardy t-shirts but you'd know that they would wear them yep you know they have some you know yeah. they have some and it's <sighs> she's so cruel I love it <laughs> and then one of our new categories is going to be the best song of the episode because there's going to be a lot of tunes so this is from the scene where Fiona Good is sort of lamenting her inability to achieve immortality alone in her LA apartment. And the song that is playing is Iron Butterflies in Agada de Vida, which I only learned today is called In Agada de Vida, because I mostly know that song from the scene in The Simpsons where they play it in the church and they're singing In the Garden of Eden. <laughs> But that is apparently what Inagata de Vida means. Um, I'm now really confused by the song, but it's cool. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I really like that song as well. Um, I would have picked that if you hadn't picked it, but I'm just going to go with the La 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 song, which is the very eerie sort of childlike tune that plays and will will play a lot throughout the season and it just it always creeps me out because it just makes me think of two like the twin girls from the shining kind of playing skipping rope i don't know that's not an image from the shining but you know what i mean like if they were singing and playing skipping rope that's what they would be singing la la oh no la, no. la, la, la. <laughs> is that 
Um, it creeps me out so much. I actually had to take my headphones off and <laughs> stop doing that. Moving on to another new category. Um, because as we've mentioned, witches and Jessica Lang are incredibly stylish. We're going to be picking out the best fit of the episode. So what was your favorite one? Mine was actually the when we see Marie Laveau. Mm. And she is just wearing, I mean, it's, um, oh, what year would it be? I think it's 18 It something. would be 1833. 1834. 1834, sorry. 1884. 1834. Yeah. Um, yeah, and she's she's just wearing this, this gorgeous, like, and it's the combination of silks, and she's got a, a shawl and a wrap, and, and it's red and, like, green and orange. And it's just like I love me some period clothing, and that is such a gorgeously like put together dress. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yes, I'm gonna be real basic and just say that it's Jessica Lang in all black with black stiletto heels and uh, a witch hat, sort of a, a wide rimmed hat, really, one sauntering through New Orleans. Especially on on Royal Street, which is the the, the Lollery House is located in New Orleans, and it's just the um, the badassery, man. I cannot like. I would just yeah. stop on my tracks. Like I I aspire to be able to walk like that. Not even in heels, just in general. Yeah. Yeah, like just like. Not even tripping, at all. <laughs> <laughs> I aspire to that. Not even tripping over her own feet. <laughs> and then what about another new category is, again, because we love a pun. I love a pun. What is, and there's going to be a lot of pun games with, with witchy stuff. What is your favorite witch pun of the episode? I feel like I'm already cheating a little bit because it's not strictly a pun, but it's a witch reference. Mm-hmm. But it's when Fiona says, don't make me drop a house on you. Nah. <laughs> Which I love it. Wizard of Oz. It's cute. Yeah, it is cute. <laughs> oh, maybe there should be another category that's just like witch references because there's a ton of them. Yeah. Well, we could say witch pun, but you can have a witch reference if okay. you're really in the mood for it. Okay. How about you? Have you got an actual? I imagine an actual pun. Um, I was just gonna again very. I stick to the rules, Clarice. So <laughs> mine was gonna be bitchcraft, which is the title of the episode, and I think it's just the best. Pun. I just love. It's it so is basic. great. It's so basic. I love it so much. But that's like t-shirt slogan. Good. Yes. <laughs> phone case. Back of a phone case. Slogan. Yes. Good. <laughs> it also just sets up the season so perfectly. It's about witches and it's about bitches. That's the two key points. Yeah. Is there any reason that witches and bitches are so similar? It rhymes. Moving on to, you know, we've talked a lot about female power power plays. Moving on to the next category, which is a, a classic one of this podcast now. Who would you say is the MVP of the episode? I guess Fiona Good because she strolls into the academy mm. and is just like, "Hello, I live here now." <laughs> yep. Uh, even though my daughter hates me, <laughs> and yeah. 
and even though none of these girls know who I am, I'm just here and I've turned up and I've just walked into the kitchen and started talking shit <laughs> without introducing myself, which is such a power move. Yeah. Right? Just walking into a room and start, you just start talking without saying who you are. I love it. I love her. Yes. Yes. She's the one. <laughs> How about you? Are you also Fiona Good? Fiona Good. Yeah. She's going to be, she's going to be the Satan of this season for me, where it's like, you're just always, always got the upper hand. Yeah. And moving on to your favorite one. And... <laughs> Insensitive historical reference of the week. Is there a single one? Yeah, look, we've already talked about the insensitivity of the Madame Lalaurie situation. Um, but um, one thing that I think is interesting to bring up is that in the show, it's implied, well, it's shown that she died in the house mm -hmm. and also that the house still exists. Both of those things are untrue. Um, what actually happened to her is that a lot of the... It was all rumours at first because, you know, she was very sort of polite in, in public and and polite to black people in public. and But people were sort of spreading stories about her saying, oh, you know, I hear this happened and this happened and... and like there were like little incidents mm -hmm. and then um one day there was a fire at the house and the all the neighbors were trying to, to break in and and um help everyone out help the slaves out and then they discovered you know all these atrocities had happened inside and naturally they sacked the house and burned it down because that's how you would react to that kind of situation mm -hmm. but madame Lalaurie actually escaped and fled to spain and just continued to live there um and yeah and the house the house was rebuilt after um it burnt down and but it's a different house now but it's still called the the Lalaurie house and it is true that nicholas cage owned it at some point which is mentioned in the show but it's not her house Yes. And it is, it is, however, still rumored to be extremely haunted. And apparently when Nicolas Cage owned it, and <laughs> we will, I think he will come up a couple times throughout this season because he actually owns a lot of really weird shit and has a whole tomb in New Orleans. Um, I'm so sorry. I'm, this whole season is just going to be me talking about my holiday <laughs> five years ago. <laughs> yeah, please tell me all the specific Nicolas Cage so New he, Orleans facts. So he owns a tomb in a New Orleans cemetery that is basically, I know this has like occult meanings. I do not have them in front of me right now, but it's basically shaped like a pyramid. For him or somebody yeah, else's him. tomb? For him. Oh, so he's like already ready. Prepped. Yeah, yeah, he's ready. He's like, I know exactly where I'm going to live when I die. Yeah. <laughs> Get it? That's a bit of security to be like, hey, whatever happens, at least I've got a sick tube. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently when he owned the, the quote-unquote Lollary mansion, uh, he... He only spent a night there and heard a lot of weird stuff. And he was like, I don't want to live here. So he just rented an apartment like right in front of it because it's on it's on Royal Street in New Orleans. And all the streets there are very, uh, very um, small. So like there's there's not that much distance. Uh, it's like, I don't know, a couple of meters. And yeah, so he just rented 
an apartment in front of it while he owned the house. It's so funny. <laughs> that reminds me, of, this is a, another sidebar, but it's a favorite sidebar. Reminds me of that great story of um, Jim Carrey checking into the Stanley Hotel, aka the Overlook Hotel, and just like leaving at 3 a.m. being like, nope. <laughs> I did not, I did not know about this. What? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great story. Um, wait, do you want me to tell that? I, I can Google yeah. it really quickly. <laughs> Um, Jim Carrey is like my favorite r- weird my sec. Okay, so this was in 1994 when Dumb and Dumber was being filmed. Oh, in the area, and so he requested the room 217, which is the haunted room Jim. of the Stanley Hotel. You know, inspiration mm-hmm, for room mm-hmm. 237, right? Mm-hmm. That's the shining. Um, and. Yeah, he lasted three hours before running to reception and demanding to be moved to another hotel. Oh, I and want he never whole, said what happened. I want a whole feature-length documentary, much like Andy and Jim. I want a whole feature-length documentary about what happened in those three hours. Come on. I'm surprised no one's like, you know, got it out of him. Yeah. Well, you know, there's still time. Every person who interviews Jim Carrey from now on has to be like, what happened in room 2217? <laughs> we want to know. It's for a podcast. Is there a lady in the bathtub? Oh, I would but not do that. Apparently the ghost in room 217 actually isn't even that scary. It's just like a lady, a sad lady, isn't it? Well, sad ladies are scary. Oh, and she just like whispers. She's like, uh, get out. This is annoying. <laughs> it's my room. <laughs> <laughs> I would love a ghost that's just like shoo. I'm trying to watch a market horror story. Get out! But there's there. Oh, this is a real sidebar. <laughs> My favorite EVP electric voice phenomena, I think, is is it from Room Two Seventeen? There's this voice, this EVP of this woman called the Princess, who was just some like rich lady who like that was her living quarters was in the hotel. Um, yeah, and the EVP is literally her being like, who's that? What? Why are you here? <laughs> what are you, what, what's going on? Like, some really pissed off ghosts being like, why are there all these people in my room? Rude. Oh um, Can you please send me a link to that? Yeah, I need to find it. I can't even remember if it was the Stanley Hotel, but it was in some hotel somewhere. And it's just my it's my favorite EVP. It's so fun, and actually quite scary because it's it's really convincing for some reason. (laughs) In the next episode, Fiona disturbs a long-standing peace when she digs up Madame Lalaurie. Why would you do that? Just buy anti-aging face cream, Fiona. Come on. Yeah. Or find the fountain of youth. Just like suck out the souls and the life force of more men. Like there's there's a lot of them. We'll be back next Wednesday with a recap of American Horror Story Coven. In the meantime, send us your thoughts on Twitter. Uh, we've got our own channels now for the podcast. <laughs> I just, sorry, I was trying to make that like big. I know, I was I was trying to do a drum roll on my desk. <laughs> but you can now follow us on at the next Supremes. And also if you just want to hear from me alone, I'm at Clarice Lou. I'm at Anna B. Demented. 
that, how, yeah. what's the proper grammatical way of saying that? Um, me at Clarice Lou. <laughs> Please follow. We will be posting many gifts. Yes. And also there's new stuff coming out. So, oh yeah. Mermaids. <laughs> Mer- we're getting, yes. guys, we're getting mermaids. <laughs> oh my God. I can't. I cannot. <laughs> my, I can't even speak. I'm so excited. If it's not mermaids, I'm going to fucking riot. I'm not even joking. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> There's going to be a whole after dark where I just like make noises of frustration. Be like, why would you tease me like this, Ryan? It has to be mermaids. It has to be mermaids. There's no other explanation. Absolutely not. The whole teeth. He's the lighthouse mm. thing. Cliff. No, there wasn't a lighthouse. The there cliff. wasn't a lighthouse. There was a cliff. There's sea. Mouth cliff with sea teeth. teeth. If it's Mermaid. not mermaids, if it's not mermaids, I'm going to be so upset. Like, not, not even joking. Okay.